The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. On this episode of This League, we break down the firing and the hiring of the new Timberwolves head coach in a matter of 10 minutes. We talk about the two types of basketball fans that exist in the world, ones that enjoy the beauty of basketball and ones who look at only wins, losses, and numbers. Then it's time, it's finally here, the LaMelo Ball appreciation segment. Yeah, no, it's our uh, our first coaching change. Big news, big news. Big news, coaching carousel. It's been a long time coming for our man Ryan Saunders, who is essentially hired because he's the son of Flip Saunders. That's his main credential. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> that's the facts. Minnesota Timberwolves fired Ryan Saunders after their loss against the Knicks. Probably not a surprise to anyone, given that the Timberwolves have only had seven wins on the season. They are 7-24. and 24. This season's been a train wreck. It is, there's been nothing good to say, well, there's just been like one or two good things to say about the Timberwolves, which we'll get into next. (laughs) Carl Anthony Towns has missed a ton of games almost the entire season with COVID. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has missed the last eight games. Who knows when he's coming back? And the team has lost eight of ten, including four in a row. So, yeah, the Saunders getting the boot is definitely not shocking. I think it's been a long time coming. But the thing that was shocking was what happened right after. So you get Woj. Little, put a little tweet out. Breaking news. Breaking news. Ryan Saunders has been fired. This is at like almost midnight mm-hmm. last night. Boom. And then you're like, okay. Thinking in your head, who are they going to replace him with? And within 10 minutes, Shams dropped the hiring news. Whoa. All of a sudden, Timberwolves have hired Chris Finch not on an interim basis, to be their head coach of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Multi-year contract. Holy moly. And this hire is very much a non-Timberwolves type hire. Mm -hmm. Finch is, who is he? Because he's not a huge name to the average casual NBA fan. Finch is an under-the-radar coach in the mold of Nick Nurse. In fact, he is so in the mold of Nick Nurse, they met while coaching in Britain as rivals. (laughs) Struck up a friendship, worked together on and off ever since. NBA outsider by all intents and purposes. He's won championships in Britain and in Europe. He's coached Olympic basketball, considered one of the best offensive minds in the game. His motion offense has transformed the high-flying Rockets with James Harden. He came in to transform that with D'Antoni. 
and Daryl Morey. He then went to the Nuggets in 2016, transformed a little player named Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. That became the fourth best offense in the NBA, and in the last 60 games, the first best offense in the NBA. Three-fourths of that year, they were number one pretty much overnight in terms of points scored and efficiency. Then he bounced to New Orleans and had a little fun run with Drew Holiday and Boogie Cousins and Brandon Ingram. Last year, his entire role was to transform Brandon Ingram and revive his career. That Drew Holiday, DeMarcus Cousins, after DeMarcus Cousins got injured, right. he had Drew Holiday and Rondo and turned them into the monster that beat the uh, Portland Trailblazers in a sweep. They had, there was no business. No business. He put Miritich on, this is some nerd talk, but he put <laughs> Miritich on Nurkic, our center, and pretty much locked Dame the fuck down with Drew, and we went home. And now... He pretty much got dicked out of the New Orleans job. So when Alvin Gentry got fired, he was supposed to be waiting in the wings to get the head coaching gig there. Mm -hmm. And then they gave the job to Stan Van Gundy. Yuck. And when they gave the job to Stan Van Gundy, Chris Finch was like, I'm out. I'm out. So since then, he's been in Toronto for this part of this year, transforming Siakam and transforming this Raptors offense into a more motion-style offense now that they have different pieces than they had when they were a contender before. And it's been a rocky road, and now they've seemed to smooth things out and are beating good teams again. So he also interviewed the first time that the Minnesota Timberwolves had a job opening. And instead, Gerson Rosas was the director of player personnel and the GM in Houston when Chris Finch was running the Rio Grande team, the D-League team in Houston, and also when he was an assistant coach for the Rockets. So they've got a little history there, right? Mm -hmm. And Gerson Rosas is the GM now of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Chris Finch interviewed with Gerson the first time around when they gave that job to Ryan Saunders, and now... He's been basically waiting in the wings for the shoe to drop and within 10 minutes of the firing gets hired. That's where we are. Do you feel like you've learned anything? I do. I do. It's funny uh, how things like this can go under the radar. People can have this big an impact and a lot of people don't even really know who they are. It's crazy, right? Yeah. It's mm-hmm. crazy. Um, but not everyone. I personally am happy with this. This feels like a changing of the guard of a team uh, and a franchise as a whole that has been... We'll call it not great decision makers. (laughs) Yeah, let's go with that. (laughs) We'll call it their talent evaluation hasn't been exactly stellar. Pretty poor. Pretty poor. What they've gotten out of their pieces has been even worse than the pieces that they actually get. So I was happy. When I saw this news, I was like, oh, shit. Okay. I feel like we all pull for the wolves like a little bit. Like, oh, come on. They've like, been, they're a beaten child. Do something. Yeah. <laughs> they're a beaten child. And I want to see Carl Anthony Towns succeed, don't like, you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like Towns. But not everybody else was happy. One of the key members of Saunders' coaching staff is this guy named David Vanderpool. David Vanderpool worked in Portland and mentored, raised up, and made Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum into the two guards that they are today, which are one of the most potent backcourts in the league besides probably Chris Paul and Devin Booker 
and Harden and Kyrie. Yep. That's I would say yeah. and then obviously Clay and Steph, but Clay is injured, right? Mm-hmm. So early in Dame's career, when you would see Dame getting coached up, having a little like little iPad in his hand, it was David Vanderpool right next to him every single time. And I know this as a Portland Trailblazers fan because I'm like, who is this guy that Dame is attached to the hip to? <laughs> that was David Vanderpool. He's been in Minnesota for a while now, and a lot of people thought that David Vanderpool would get a head coaching gig. He actually interviewed for the Houston head coaching job that Steven Silas got. Didn't get it. Wow. So everyone thought Vanderpool was next in line to get the Timberwolves job when Ryan Saunders eventually, hopefully, got fired. And I think everybody wanted him to get fired because he was a legacy hire. Around midnight last night, just after the news of Finch's hiring broke, Damien decided to go on Twitter and express his discontent. This is what he says. How the hell do you not hire David Vanderpool and he's right there on the bench? He's been in the front office successfully, all caps, and on the front of the bench of a winning team successfully for seven years and has also played a major role in the development of a dominant backcourt shaking my damn head. That's damning. And just for good measure, CJ decided to chime in as well. Make it make sense, respectfully. It does make sense, though. That's the problem. The Chris Finch hire does make sense. Not hiring or not interviewing Vanderpool makes zero sense. Yeah. In this league where we've got these protocols, these rules and regulations in terms of how you hire people and how you do not exclude people, not interviewing Vanderpool was a mistake. Uh, But this hire does seem to be driven by Carl Anthony Towns. I think Carl Anthony Towns is saying, based on what I'm reading, I want to become Nikola Jokic. I, too, would like to be a passing, distributing, playmaking big man that can turn into an MVP candidate and be the focal point of an offense in a new way. I don't want to have to put up 50 every single night down on the post. I don't want to have to do that. And I like that. I think if Carl Anthony Towns was a 6'3 guard and that was who you were building your franchise around, David Vanderpool would probably be a go-to hire. But Chris Finch is known for developing wings and big men. Anthony Davis, Brandon Ingram, Nikola Jokic, so on and so on. Siakam. So, yeah, I would say that this is a complicated issue. Mm-hmm. I like David Vanderpool as a human being and as a coach. I know him personally. But... For once, the Timberwolves are actually interesting and dominating the news cycle, which they haven't done in a very long time. (laughs) And that is something that I thought I would never say. So I do love Vanderpool. I want him to be a head coach. I'm a Portland Trailblazers fan, but I understand fully why Gerson Rosas made this decision and made the move. Long-term relationship and fit. Amine, this guy Amine Amine. is a Portland native. Uh, went to school with, went to my high school. Did not know that. Wow. So there was a Portland, little Portland mix, a little Timberwolf mix. You know what's really interesting, just as an, an aside? Yeah. Is that the Portland Trailblazers and the Minnesota Timberwolves are almost like sister franchises. They do a lot of trades with one another. Flip, flip Saunders and a bunch of different GMs in Portland. You could even go back to the Kevin Pritchard days Mm -hmm. when he was running things. They did a lot of things together. They've had some bad blood. Um, 
coaches who go from Portland sometimes end up in Minnesota and vice versa. So this Portland-Minnesota news back and forth was very interesting to me. Yeah, for so sure. That's, yeah. We have another Timberwolves segment, though. Let's go. Let's go. Wolves podcast. This is a Wolves podcast now. I've been putting off talking about this franchise, like I said, because, one, they've won seven games. <laughs> so what are we really talking about? And they've been largely irrelevant in terms of news. And I've been asked to discuss them from a multiple amount of listener DMs. And I just had said no. (laughs) No. But they just dominated the news this entire weekend. So let's do it. I want to get deep, Marty, for a second with you. Okay. We're living in in two Americas. Yes. As it relates to the NBA. (laughs) There are people who find joy in the individual and beautiful moments of the game because of what it means not only for their soul but for the culture, right? They take pleasure in a in a crossover or in a Kyrie or a Lucas step back, right? Mm-hmm. That's what gets them going. Group chat type vibes. Twitter. Because basketball is supposed to be fun. Yeah. They fell in love with the game because of those moments, right? Yeah. Highlights are cool. Highlights are cool. And then there are other people who look at basketball as a business. Wins, losses, how close are you to winning a championship? Stats, war, something called Raptor. I really don't know <laughs> what it is. How yeah. close a team net to de- net rating, dead cap space, storylines, et cetera, et cetera. When you break it down like that, ugh, do you want your? It's basically like, are you an over person or are you an under person? Do you bet on the over or do you <laughs> bet on the under? Do you love joy? Do you take pleasure in the game? Or is it all about how close you are to winning and breaking it down in terms of Excel spreadsheets? I understand both POVs. I kind of live somewhere in the gray of those two places. Yeah, me too, I would say. And the Timberwolves' Aunt Edwards dunk on Friday night put a spotlight on this philosophical divide in basketball. This is where we are. Ant Edwards was the number one pick selected by the Timberwolves, and he's a rookie right now. Timberwolves are what? A perennial loser. Yeah, probably the biggest one we have. Probably the biggest one and the biggest disappointment in terms of players that they could have drafted and then the players that they did draft. Sure, yeah, when you're in that many lotteries, there's going to be a lot of misses. (laughs) That's facts. (laughs) This, that is facts. They could have drafted Steph Curry, and instead, I think they drafted Ricky Rubio. And Johnny Flynn. And Johnny Flynn. Yep, and Johnny Flynn. Timberwolves at this point, like I've said multiple times so far, have only seven wins. They have a 22% winning percentage. So at this point, the Wolves on Friday night are playing the Raptors, the team that I told you was surging. The team that I told you, the, their offense is starting to gel, mm-hmm. and they're up on the Raptors by eight. Woo, let's go. And Ant Edwards posterizes this kid, Watanabe, going viral, top in-game dunk in years. Just in, in, immediately broke the internet. Yeah, it was a hammer. Hammer. Yeah. He put his nuts on Watanabe's face. And put his hand on, he stiff armed him and put his nuts <laughs> yeah. in his face at the same time. The internet was ablaze. They were filled with enthusiasm and joy. Finally, something to be excited about as it relates to the Minnesota Timberwolves. 
until a few big J journalists and some Timberwolves fans decided to rain on the parade of everyone who was enjoying that moment. Nate Duncan, who I have ran into many times in the NBA media, mm-hmm. is a cap, cap <laughs> analyst. Meh. Nate Duncan came in and well actually Edwards, well actually, I know you think this dunk is cool, but here's his stat line. Ant Edwards tonight with the dunk of the year. He also has seven points on three for 14 shooting and zero for seven from three. (laughs) Fuck you, Nate Duncan. (laughs) Fuck you. And Danny. And Danny. And whoever is shitting on Ant Edwards in his shining moment. Let that man live. Did you just, well, actually, Ant Edwards? who put his nuts on Watanabe's face in a viral moment that we're probably going to be talking about 10 years from now? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And the internet was a ratio. Here's the number that tells you everything that you need to know. 4,500 quote tweets, 1,300 comments, and 15,000 likes. (laughs) What does that tell you? People responded to that pretty strongly, didn't they? They did. That's the only stat that matters. And the numeric response shows you how polarized NBA Twitter is. There's this kid, Justin Tinsley, who works for the Undefeated, and he summed it up perfectly. He said, that Anthony Edwards stat line tweet really was a masterclass between seeing basketball as a culture and seeing basketball as an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, I mean... I'm one of those that, especially with young players, I really want to appreciate all the cool things they can do because especially when you go to a team like that, there's not going to be a whole lot of winning nights. So, like, let's appreciate when guys do something cool and just coming in and immediately expecting 19-year-olds to have, you know, the most polished advanced stat line is just ridiculous. So, yeah, like I, I was thrilled to see the Anthony Edwards dunk, and I hope we see a lot more, and I don't really care what his stats are in that game. Exactly. I don't think anybody really was worried about Allen Iverson's stat line when he broke Michael Jordan's ankles. Yeah. No one. Yeah, do we have any idea what his line was in that game? Nope. None. Have no idea, but we're still talking about it, aren't we? This, Marty, is complicated. It's so complicated because the more you think about it, the more complicated it becomes. Why? Because Ant Edwards was the number one draft pick by the Timberwolves. Mm -hmm. Anytime you're the number one draft pick, for whatever reason, you're expected to not only produce right away, but you're expected to affect that team's winning percentage in a major way right away. That translates to wins and losses. You're going to get a ton of playing time, so you're going to be expected to make an impact. Is that expectation fair? No. no. But this is a business with billions of dollars on the line. And the Timberwolves have a history of drafting players in a lottery, like I said, that don't work out. Over ones that become superstars. And storylines are what drives the NBA as a business. Do you think a dunk can get you five, six columns for the week? (laughs) No. Is that fair? No. But the media is also a business to the tune of billions of dollars a year where clicks and views are what matter. 
You can't squeeze a ton of juice out of that Anthony Edwards dunk, but what you can squeeze out is whether the Timberwolves made the right decision by drafting him when LaMelo Ball was right there. And the storyline is, here's a guy with a horrible stat line expected to produce right now, not now, but right now, and he told the world pre-draft, I'm not that interested in basketball. I like football. If the NFL drafted me, I would go there immediately. That's not good. With a bad team who a bad team took a chance on over a sure thing in LaMelo Ball, and he had a great dunk. So if you're a Timberwolves fan or an NBA insider journalist, that's what you're going to think about is all that context. It's a dirty game. Mm -hmm. It leads us to make assumptions, prognostications, say things that are a little early, like me. I say things that are a little early all the time because that's what you kind of have to do. You can't just wait and react because what are you really doing? That's really the only time the stat guys get to me is when they just want to be so quick to shit on a young player. Like, let give them some time. Mm-hmm. Give them some time to figure it out. Nate Duncan is the no fun police. Mm-hmm. But he's been in the media a long time, and he knows the game, and that's the game. So it's complicated, right? Because that's his job, but it's like, can you give us 15 seconds to enjoy yeah. this kid? Can we let this kid have his moment in the sun when there hasn't really been very many moments in the sun if you're a Timberwolf? I mean, that's it. Please let us enjoy something, anything, in the middle of a (laughs) two-year-long pandemic. Can we have something to be happy about? This pandemic has devastated the league, this country, our mental health. And I don't know, maybe it's just something about this climate that makes the juxtaposition between these two philosophies and these two mindsets so much easier for me to see. They cannot see these people, these big J's, these no fun polices. They can't see Anthony Edwards by himself. He's not just a kid from Georgia who's the number one pick. All they can see is the list of other lottery players that didn't work out. All they see is the seven wins that he's not helping them get anymore. All they see is the bleak future of their franchise. I mean, this shit is sad, mm-hmm. really. It's trauma. These fans have trauma. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. They cannot experience joy from a historically good dunk because it came from Aunt Edwards. It could have been anyone else, and everyone would have been excited. But because it was Aunt, who is expected to do all of these things for this perennial loser— and he is not, and they made a wrong decision in drafting him over another player like LaMelo, all they can see is the, the what-ifs. And so it immediately diminishes this moment. He's the symbol to them of everything that's wrong with their favorite team. I mean, people, though. Can we just say, wake <laughs> up. This kid is 19, and he is nasty. That dunk was beyond nasty. Yeah, it was awesome. Let's just relish in something that we can talk about 20 years from now. Much like that AI cross on Jordan. By the way, the Sixers lost that game. Oh, they did, yeah. Nobody (laughs) talks about that. Take those small victories, those moments of happiness, wherever you can get them. Laugh, exclaim, feel some joy. 
This is why we love the game of basketball. These moments. Not because of war or raptor or fucking stats. <laughs> Don't let anything take the joy away from you in a game that we love. Especially stats. LaMelo is up late night balling, up early balling, balling all the time. One of the reasons that the Wolves are so scarred is the, a rookie that they should have taken is LaMelo Ball. And LaMelo Ball is fucking balling. We talked a little bit about the Hornets earlier as one of the three teams that have become very, very fun to watch. And a lot of that is because of LaMelo. Yeah, I mean, he's so precise with everything he does. And that's something I really try to look for in young players, like the precision uh, with passing. And uh, he's affecting the game not in a way that a lot of rookies come in and just put up good stats on middling teams, like a la like Michael Carter-Williams. Like He's actually really improved that team's level of play. And you can see it Everywhere. all over the floor. Everywhere. You can see it with players who... We're not doing shit, <laughs> who now all of a sudden are performing like that franchise expected them to when they were drafted. And we'll get there. So what do, what do we know about LaMelo? He's been in the spotlight since he was 14 years old. He is Lonzo Ball's little brother, and Lonzo Ball was balling at UCLA, right? And LaMelo was like 14, yeah. putting up 92 points in a high school basketball game. Yeah, there was that clip of him pulling up from half court where he was pointing at the line. He had that dumb hair. He had the dumb hair. It was like <laughs> little Odell-esque. Uh -huh. His teeth were still coming in. He still had his baby teeth. And he was on, he was in the spotlight from then on. Mm -hmm. We've all had our eyes on him since then, which is crazy. He, that 92-point game was the fifth highest scoring total in the U.S., by one player in the last 25 years. That is incredible. And instead of doing what Lonzo Ball did, right? Instead of going to Kentucky or UCLA or whatever, he bounced. Instead of going to college, he then went to Lithuania, to the other side of the earth. Yeah, with Jello. With Jello, exactly. Which was a crazy story, oh, how oh. that whole thing went out. I think that the coach was, like, selling meat out of his trunk or something. The, co the head coach was a fucking madman. Yeah, and then LeVar pushed him out, obviously. Yeah, LeVar <laughs> got that coach out. Quick, quick. Yeah, it was, cra it was crazy. And then he ended up playing, I think, 18 games in Australia? Yeah. So when you leave the country and don't go the traditional college route, people are not really watching your games it's hard to get that stream mm -hmm. from lithuania right you couldn't exactly tell at that point whether lavar was insane whether he made the right decision whether he was off the reservation who knew right you had the big baller shoes the explosive interviews on first take and when he went crazy against christine Leahy on the herd and like mansplained her all of that was creating this this tense drama around the the family, that we couldn't really tell and decipher how that was going to impact his sons, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. He said, all three of my sons are going to make it pro. He had these crazy, crazy pro proclamations. That came true, by the way. He yeah, said barely, he could, but yeah. Barely. He said <laughs> he could play and beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a sideshow for a while. Undefeated, never lost. Undefeated, never lost. The whispers on LaMelo were not good. Everybody said that this kid's a me guy. All the critics are depicting him as this like 
Harlem, this, this like glorified Harlem Globetrotter hot dog who pulls up from anywhere, gives you these highlights, and doesn't help teams win. It's crazy. He's like flying all over when he was with Lithuania all over to London and Berlin. Like they were on this traveling circus tour, playing only 17 games in Australia. And the book on Lamella was that he was lazy, that he threw up too many shots, and he was just not built for the NBA, right? So much that was his brand and that was the assumption of who he was that his current head coach, James Borrego, was sus, super sus on Melo. <laughs> he was like, ah, it's what you hear, it's what you read, it's what's on the internet. It's like, I don't know about this kid, right? <laughs> but what was lost in this, all of this perception, because again, like we say, storylines drive everything. That perception becomes reality, and that perception changes people's decisions, right? The Timberwolves, it was a sure thing, and they were like, "Mm, no. What's lost in that perception is that LaMelo Ball became the fourth player in NBL history to record back-to-back triple doubles. That was the first person, he was the first person since 2009 to do that, by the way. They changed the rules to 40 minutes a game. And no one had done that ever since except for LaMelo. This is an 18-year-old kid balling mm-hmm. against grown men and giving them the business. The business. <laughs> and because the Wolves, like I said, have the worst talent evaluators in the business. Yeah. They are legitimately the worst. They were scurred. Oh, my God. Storylines, baby. No real scouting. Just ripping shit from the headlines like this LaMelo kid. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe it's all smoke and mirrors. Maybe it's all highlights. Maybe it's all storylines. And remembering that Lonzo Ball, we can call him a bust at two. There was other players like Jason Tatum that they could have taken over him. Fox. Fox. And on and on. And Lonzo and LaMelo have got to be the exact same player, right? No. <laughs> Just because they're brothers? Like, no, that's yeah. wrong. They're different players with different games, with different personalities and different skill sets. Wolves were scared of the reaction that another bust would bring them. Like, especially one like LaMelo with all of this chatter around him. So who did they draft? Someone that has never gotten any media chatter at all. <laughs> And Aunt Edwards, no headlines. <laughs> this kid from the University of Georgia, athletic and explosive, but certainly not on any of our radars. I mean, goodness gracious, he came out of nowhere. Yes, he was the quote-unquote consensus number one, but that, that happened pretty quick. And then the Warriors have Clay. So they don't want to draft LaMelo. Right. Because they don't really know what to do with three guards, even though that would have been perfect for them. So they draft James Wiseman. A long-term, we'll call him a long-term project with a very low floor. And who knows what his ceiling is. And I tell you what, holy shit did the Hornets get lucky. LaMelo just falls into their laps. And with no training camp, very little, Time for him to gel with his teammates. No structure put into place because of COVID. Lamelo is just thriving. He, in the this is a crazy stat. In the nine games that Lamelo has started this year, so that's nine out of thirty. Okay. 
He's averaging 21 points, 7 rebounds, 6 assists, 45% from the field, 44% from 3, and 90% from the free throw line. Let's go, baby. Is that good? That's pretty good. Is that good? I'd I say it's pretty tell. good. I'd say that's pretty damn good. Yeah. He's the youngest player in NBA history with a triple-double. Not Kobe. Not LeBron. Not KG. Just LaMelo. And the world said, LaMelo, you can't shoot. I'd say 44% from three means he can shoot. He can shoot really well. Yes. He's 6'6", six, six, and he's probably going to grow another two inches. That is terrifying he's a nightmare for defenses because he has handles he has court vision he has size and an uncanny uncanny ability to find that open man no matter where they are no matter where he is in traffic out of traffic men draped all over him and somehow he finds them he's got so many different ways to find them like that's the thing he has so much in his bag it's crazy it's crazy this is this lamella ball is why malik monk why P.J. Washington yeah. are playing the best that they've ever played in their NBA career. Malik Monk had 36 in one game. That was new. Oh, yeah. Who do you think was passing him the ball? <laughs> do you think he was creating his own shot? <laughs> Absolutely not. We saw that Malik Monk can't create his own shot. Yeah. He's getting that. Those buckets are coming because LaMelo is finding him. That is why Scary Terry is still averaging 17 points a game off the bench. They paid Scary Terry the bag, and LaMelo was like, you're on the bench, homie. Yeah. I am taking that starting job. He hit that game winner the other night, though. He did. It is what has resurrected Gordon Hayward's career. This is insane. They're making, the Hornets are making 315 passes per game, second only to the 76ers, and are top five in fast break points. Okay. They lead the league in assists. Oh, my God. And even though he came off the bench for most this season, his passes per minute are only behind Sabonis, Jokic, Simmons, and Draymond Green. Hmm. That kid loves to distribute the rock. I mean, Sabonis, Simmons, and Jokic are known as distributors. And Green. They're known as big men that love to pass, right? Yeah. Team as a whole, after being in the depths of hell for a very long time, fucking sixth in the East. (laughs) Playing some of the most fun basketball that we see this year. Largely, why? Because of LaMelo. When was the last time that you could say that the Hornets were exciting? Uh, there was that one year where they had Big Al, where they made like sort of a run. Remember I think they, they lost had the CP3? Remember they had <laughs> CP3 before Michael Jordan took over? That was fun. Yeah. And then they changed teams and changed cities and then turned into the Pelicans and then back to the Hornets. And yeah. It was like a whole— Baron sh- Davis. Baron Davis yeah. was fun. I like that team. Oh, um, Larry Johnson. <laughs> Grandmama. Yeah, David Wesley. David Wesley. I mean, that was a long-ass time ago. Yeah. I was a child yeah. then. I was a child. Yeah. I think I was like— Seven? Eight? I was young. I was yeah. young, yeah. So now everyone on LaMelo, who was shit-talking him, has changed their tune, haven't they? You have grizzly coaches and guys who never give out praise, talent evaluators who are tight-lipped and good at their jobs, gushing over LaMelo. You have Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, Tom Thibodeau, Rick Carlisle, all gushing for him. 
these are not the kind of guys that you see gassing up players on other teams. They're like, yeah, he's a nice player. These people are saying, oh, no, he's got the gift. This kid has it. The guy who was forecasted to be a selfish hot dog chucker, a (laughs) professional stat getter, and now you're hearing Tibbs saying, yeah, this kid's got the rare thing about him. The only one who's not surprised is LaMelo himself. (laughs) What did LaMelo say after his triple-double against the Hawks, Marty? Yeah, no, I loved this. He said, uh, I've been doing this ever since I was three, so it comes quite easy to me, for real. I played a lot of 21 when I was growing up. (laughs) I fucking love this kid. Oh, my God. Everyone doubted him from the time he was 14 years old. He's been in the spotlight since he was a child. And every step of the way, he just continues to prove everybody wrong. How can you not love that? Not one person now has a bad word to say about him. We talk about joy in the last segment, how basketball is supposed to be fun. No one looks like they're having more joy out there than LaMelo Ball. It's crazy. You want an example of what a leader and a player 19-year-old LaMelo Ball is? Terry Rozier, a guy that has been competing for minutes with him, hit a game winner against the Warriors on Saturday night, and who was the first player to run across the court to give a huge hug and embrace jumping all over Terry Rozier? That was LaMelo. When Draymond Green got teed up, kicked out of the game, LaMelo's just losing his mind. He loves this game. Loves this game. Not only is LaMelo the rookie of the year, he is the steal of the draft. Probably the first home run draft pick that the Hornets have had in the Jordan era. And he just might fuck around and change the future of this franchise and Jordan's legacy as an NBA owner as a result. And that is not hyperbole. All right, let's get into some DMs. All right. Uh, first up, we have uh, is Joel Embiid's injury history a source of concern for the Sixers going forward? So until they lost last night against the Raptors, the Sixers at one point were thirteen and zero when Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Seth Curry, and Danny Green started. That is a wagon. Yeah, they are one and five. Without Embiid in the lineup, they are 46 and 70 in his career when he misses games. And the problem is, though, he misses a lot of games. A lot of games. I looked at this up and it was like staggering. He has missed more than a quarter of the season every year that he's played in the NBA. Yep. After, that's after missing a full two years with a foot injury when he came into the league. So am I concerned? Is that a concern? (laughs) I mean, what do you think? Look at the facts and you tell me. They cannot win without him, and he misses 25% of the games. Yes, I would be concerned. Yes, I would. (laughs) Every time I see Joel hit the floor, every time I see him with a hot pack on his back, Every time I hear he's out for rest or recovery, every time I see him stretching out, I would be concerned. Holy shit, is this it? Is this what it's going to be? Is he out? Is he? 
Is there something wrong? Yeah, I would be concerned. Every time the camera pans to him when he's not on the floor, I would be concerned. Yes. (laughs) There's no player other than LeBron James whose team rises and falls more when they're on the floor and off the floor than Joel Embiid. That's it. It's just him and LeBron. He's having the best season of his career because when he is in right now, he is incredible. Putting up 50 in marquee games, single-handedly transforming the center position as a whole. Yes, Embiid is incredible. He's better on the perimeter, I would say, than some point guards on his own team. (laughs) Sometimes he's the best point guard on the floor at any given time. No shade. But if I were a Sixers fan, I would be concerned. Yes, injury history is meaningful. Every time he winces, yes, he's already missed time. And let's just hope he's already missed more than 25% of the season this year. This year, 25%. Mm -hmm. And let's just hope everybody will say, oh, Trista, that's that's just load management. Don't trip. If it's load management, great. Awesome. If it's not load management, we got problems. Let's hope that Doc is keeping him fresh so they can get to the playoffs and he doesn't miss any playoff games because without him, your team, Sixers, are in trouble, trouble. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next up, we've got uh, thoughts on Shea Gillis-Alexander and uh, Lou Dort on OKC because fuck the East Coast media elite. I don't know who who asked that, but... God bless him, because <laughs> I've been find, trying to find ways to talk about Lou Dort. Lou Dort is, is one of my favorite players. And I love players like him because he does all the little things, and he has been overlooked. He wasn't even drafted last year. He was a rookie who came into the league as a two-way player and then just put on clamps. Lou Dort, I am a Lou Dort stan. It's the truth. <laughs> It's true. Lou Gens Dort had the highest defensive effort in the NBA. In other words, he runs significantly harder on defense than he does on offense. (laughs) No one runs faster on defense as opposed to offense in the NBA other than him. It's a crazy, crazy stat. Yeah. The dude's 21 putting on clamps, a blitzing animal, a pest. More annoying than almost anyone out there. So annoying. Harden shot one for seven against Dort when he was a rookie in the playoffs. He put the clamps on Harden, Kyrie, on LeBron, pretty much on everyone. Pretty much. There's, yeah. I think he's probably one of the best, if not the best, on-ball defenders that the league has coming in undrafted. That's crazy. He's up there. I mean, you got to talk about him if that comes up. Got to talk about him. Yeah. He has spent the highest percentage of minutes guarding the opposing team's number one than anyone in the league. Highest. No one gets the the best assignment more than, or the worst assignment, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) the hardest assignment more than Lou Dort. And nobody noticed that as a rookie. He is the size to disrupt he has the size to disrupt guards in and out of the paint. He's fast enough to go around screens, patient enough to not get baited into fouls by Harden and Dame, strong enough to hold his own against guys like LeBron in the post. So how do I feel about Lou Dort? I've 
feel tremendous. <laughs> I love him. James Harden, after that series with OKC, all he could say was, wow, this dude is going to have a career. And Austin Rivers said it best. We could not wait to get that guy, Lou Dort, off the court. <laughs> we wanted him <laughs> out of there. <laughs> Quinn Snyder called him one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. He makes everyone he guards upset. He makes basketball unfun for players, and I am here for that. As it relates to SGA, love him even more, if possible, because he's that offensive guy, right? Mm -hmm. We know that SGA finished eighth in the NBA voting for guards, and there's a reason for that. In his first season as the number one option, SGA is averaging 22.5 points, 6.5 assists, and five and a half rebounds per game Ooh. while shooting 51% from the field and 38% from three. Goddamn. Solid. He's one of five players. This is even better. He's, at, he's one of five players averaging at least 22.6 assists and five rebounds. Do you know who those people are? Those others? <laughs> LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, James Harden, and Doncic are the others. Pretty damn good company. I would say. He has the second best field goal percentage in that group behind Jokic, the do-it-all center. Yo. OKC is underrated. OKC is not being talked about a lot in the media because they are not very good, but they have young pieces, and they have a core, and they have pretty much every single L.A. Clipper draft pick till the end of time. <laughs> so <laughs> they're going to get some guys here and there. So... I like those two, and I like the, the Thunder and where they're going, and I like Sam Presti. I do, too. Okay, moving on. We've got uh, Brandon Ingram is actually fantastic. Why does uh, he get no credit for a guy who can— You hate Brandon Ingram. <laughs> I don't quite uh, hate him. Uh, I don't think he's as amazing as a lot of people do. So what's the question? Okay, so the full question is, uh, Brandon Ingram is actually fantastic. Why does he get no credit for a guy who can score like Durant? And that's just silly. So why does he get credit? Why does Brandon Ingram get credit for a guy who can score like Durant? Firstly, Brandon Ingram cannot score like Durant. Yeah. Brandon Ingram is not seven feet tall and shooting over everyone at will. But. Brandon Ingram is very good. Oh, of course. He yes. is very good. He averages around 23 a game, but I would still say that he's underutilized, and the reason why is very obvious now. Chris Finch is now gone, and our boy Stan Van Gundy is running things through Zion, and that's okay, but it's not good enough to me. Against the Celtics, there were stretches where he just st stood around. He was literally on the left side of the court, not involved in the offense for the entire stretch. And then on the other side, on defense, he was not involved there either. He's yeah. just nowhere. Yeah, He's he just can do that. not involved. So Zion's getting a lot of reps, and maybe some of those reps should go to B.I. Because like we said before, Marty, Zion has two moves in the post. One move in the post, really. It's that like little lefty spin move, mm -hmm. and we know he's going to the left, and everybody can scheme for that. So Brandon Ingram has a much bigger bag of tricks uh, than Zion does, and I think that Stan Van Gundy's not utilizing him nearly enough. I watched B.I. get buckets at will to put that Pelicans team up to go into overtime and to win the game. So 
if Doris Bur- Burke knows that Zion is only going left, <laughs> and I know that they're only, he's only going left, then we sure as hell know that NBA defenders know that Zion's only go left. So I think if Bi gets more touches, he's going to get he's going to be more effective, and the Pels are going to win more games. So I like Bi. Um, I don't know that he is Kevin Durant though. So. I don't know who that he's not that Pelicans <laughs> fan is. He is fantastic. He's better than people think, but he's no Kevin Durant. Yeah, I'd like to see his fourth quarter numbers compared with Durant. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last up, we've got. Uh, what do you think of fan voting in the All Star Game? <sighs> what do I think of fan voting in the All Star Game? <laughs> I think it's big trash. I think it's terrible. I think that there are fans who have no idea what's going on as it relates to the NBA. And that is how you get guys like Alex Caruso and Clay Thompson getting fan votes. It is awful. It is a popularity contest. It is not about how good players are. It is about storylines as usual. And these casuals are getting the same votes as everyone else. And I think it's awful. I think it's awful. I think I am disrespected by Luka Doncic getting the start over Hmm. Damian Lillard. I think Hmm. it's garbage. I think coaches need to decide. And fans do not. It's awful. Who is to blame that eight-year-old kid in Dallas who voted for Luca, or that eight-year-old kid in Oakland voting for Clay? It's like Clay's not playing. Clay is hurt. <laughs> he doesn't get any votes. No votes for Clay. Zero. Alex Caruso doesn't deserve a fucking vote either. He's a janitor. Well, uh, Zaza Pachulia used to get a shit ton of votes too. It's gross. Yeah. Fuck them kids that are voting for players who cannot compete in the all-star game like clay thompson get the fuck out of here that's insane dame did not make the all-star game two years in a row averaging 27 points taking blazers to the playoffs single-handedly and nope snub fan votes are what also gets devin booker not making an all-star game in six years right marty exactly fuck those kids fuck the fan votes so that's all the time that we have for the this league podcast Please subscribe, please rate, please review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It makes a huge difference for us. We also have This League hoodies on sale in the Barstool store. Also, follow us on Instagram. Follow This League on Twitter. Follow This League on TikTok. Follow me, Trista underscore Crick, everywhere except for TikTok, where it's just Trista Crick, T-R-Y-S-T-A, Crick, K-R-I-C-K. Thank you for listening.